Well, it's coffee time, so grab a cup, find a space, and settle in for this episode of Connected Cities Podcast, where we're having another caffeinated conversation with urban academics. In our last episode, we talked to Roger Kyle and Jody McVernon about pandemics, disease, and the city. Today, we have Professors Sue Parnell and Thomas Elmquist talking about the global urban agenda and whether an urban planet with over 4 billion people living in cities can really be sustainable. It's hosted as always by Michele Akuto, Director of Connected Cities Lab, and our three professors have quite the fascinating conversation today. They answer some important questions around whether we have reached peak urban, why should mayors care about acting on a global scale, and what can urban academia do to better communicate research to policymakers? This episode was recorded in October 2019, so it's taken us a little while to get it to you. But the conversation is just as important today as it was then. So sit back and enjoy. Here is Michele, Sue and Thomas talking about cities and the global urban agenda. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Michele Couton, Director of the Connected Cities Lab, uh, and welcome to today's conversation uh, with coffee, with cities, and a bit of a chat with experts uh, on the international urban conversation. Um, we, today, we've got uh, Professor Supernell, uh, who's an incredibly titled Global Challenges uh, Professor uh, at the University of Bristol, um, and also affiliated with the University of Cape Town, uh, and Professor Thomas Elmsquist, who's a, a Professor of Natural Resources management uh, at the University of Stockholm in the Stockholm Resilience Center. Um, now, the conversation today really comes from uh, uh us trying to grapple with the idea of where are we at in an urban planet, in fact, a title uh, of a recent publication uh, that Thomas and Sue have been involved in, and uh, where is it that the global conversation on cities is at and what is getting us to. Um, where it comes from is that, in a sense, in 2015, 2016, uh, even a few years before, we've seen cities really at the, on the limelight of major global agendas. Uh, the Sustainable Development Goals uh, have recognized cities and sustainable communities as a critical issue for global sustainable development, but also other areas like the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, uh, uh, like the United Nations New Urban Agenda. They've really put cities on the map uh, and recognized, uh, I guess, a 10-year at least, uh, or maybe 20-year-long movement to try and put cities uh, there up with states and other issues uh, uh, at the very center of international affairs. Now, the question is for us, uh, winding up uh, a few years later, is where are we at now? Where is that global agenda going? Um, Supernell has called this sort of the global urban agenda, not just the specific new urban agenda treaty or I guess sort of a, a program of the United Nations, but the bigger picture. So where are we at with cities? Where are they globally at the moment? Uh, and I guess what we're going to do is start with Sue and see where are we at with cities at the moment? Where are they in the global agenda? Um, it's a difficult question to answer, um, partly because I think what you've correctly said, Michele, is there was a big shift um, over the last decade. There's been a, a really significant shift, partly because we recognised that most of the world's population was living in cities. And so transparently it became really obvious. You know, you can't talk about anything, healthcare, 
education, natural resources, unless you're talking about those things in an urban place. And so sort of everybody agreed that this was an important thing to talk about, um, but they didn't necessarily talk about it in quite the same way. Okay, um, So I think when we start to talk about where are we at on the global agenda, I think one of the things we have to realize is that where we are at is that we know that cities are important. That, I think, is uncontested. Um, even people who always used to push back and say, you know, well, what about the rural agenda, now concede that, yes, cities and rural and places are linked, but cities are important in and of themselves. Um, and that, I think, is not going to go away. It's going to get stronger. The difficulty is that it's a difficult thing to push forward. Making the case that something is important is very different from beginning to implement the kinds of policies in and through cities. Um, partly because that's when the differences in how we un actually understand the significance of the urban, of the cityness of our world, of the urban planet, the, the, the chapter of the book that, uh, the title of the book you were talking about. Um, and it's not even that those ideas are necessarily contradictory, it's just that it's, it's a little bit like a chorus where different people have got different voices and they're all saying cities, 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 but they're saying it in slightly different rhythms, they're saying it in slightly different temporalities, they're certainly saying it in, with different tones and sometimes with quite a different understanding of what a city means. And so when I talk about the global urban agenda, for me what that is, is the consensus that you can't think of the 21st century unless you think in city terms. I'd probably go further than that and say you need to be quite city-centric. In other words, you need to think that you have to act probably first and foremost in and through a city and other things will follow. Not everybody would agree with that, but for me that's quite important. And, and there are a lot of people who would agree with that. Um, but having said that, where we are at is that some of the underlying tensions in the differences that we hold are beginning to surface. Okay, so, I mean, a stupid example of it, or well, silly example, not a stupid example, is that um, we've all got a very different definition of a city. <laughs> um, so it's quite difficult to, if, you're up, if you don't have a common object that you're talking about, it's quite difficult to, to even have a disagreement about what's important about that, that condition. Um, so that's one example of it. Um, I think the other thing which is really... Um, increasingly evident, and Thomas, you can probably talk a little bit more about this um, because you've got much better specialist knowledge on it, is that different kinds of specialists would highlight and prioritize different sorts of change that they think it's essential that we broker in and through cities. So, so for example, if you are a sociologist or a political economist or somebody who's interested in inequality, you would really be first and foremost interested in, in the nature of the urban economy, okay, and the nature of, of the global economy, which is now urban. So you might be as interested in internal divisions in a city, or you might be interested in the differences in levels of income and wealth and well-being across different kinds of cities. So even for people who are interested in inequality, they are not necessarily interested in the same kind of urban focus. So are you interested in a city 
Are you interested in the system of cities? Are you interested in the way that there's an interrelationship between cities? These are all the urban questions. And partly because what we did manage to do, which I think is really very significant, is to get the urban question into the 2030 agenda with SDG 11 and with what is known as SDG 11 plus 11, all the other goals, we have to talk about that stuff and we probably have to find a way to talk about it that embraces our differences. Brilliant. Thomas, any thoughts on that? Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think there were a lot of deep thinking, uh, Sue. Read up. I mean, your experience working uh, with, with the urban questions for so many years, uh, I think it give you a special deep perspective on, on um, what has happened. And what I, what I want to sort of point at uh, particularly is um, the breakthrough that SDG 11 um, re resulted in. I, I think it was a major breakthrough that we have that uh, specific goal on, on enhancing resilience and sustainability in human settlements. Uh, but I think also and it led to a very ambitious agenda. And um, even in some countries, they viewed SDG 11 as, as perhaps the first goal they could start working with because they could start working locally yeah. and sort of bring in local governments in the work. But I also think um, now a few years after the SDGs uh, where we had a decision and they, was, they started to be implemented that we realize how much they are interrelated. So we have starting to get examples of how cities actually are, are quite successfully working on building sustainability and resilience in within their own jurisdiction, but perhaps eroding it somewhere else and eroding many of the other goals as well. <clears throat> so, and I think this points to uh, an insight we need to bring with us is that we have had for some time um, a deeper and more, a better understanding of urbanization on a global scale. Uh, and of course, on the local scale, because we have lots of city studies, we understand uh, <clears throat> better and better interactions happening on, on that local scale. But we lack sort of something in between that regional scale, how cities are interacting with, with in the region for good and bad. And, and what I want to see in the future is much more where the research community together with local governments and other actors could engage in, in, in understanding those interactions and how we could shape those interactions so that cities become a positive force for uh, sustainable landscape management. And then I think cities really become this global actor that could change uh, <clears throat> change the, the development and the pathway and where cities actually will will lead and integrate uh, as many as possible of, of, of the SDGs, but in a larger context. We promised a caffeinated conversation. So let me throw you a couple of provocations on exactly what you just said. I think let's start exactly where, where Th Thomas ended. Uh, 2016 and 2015 was a moment where that there was an, exactly as Sue says, a quite clear consensus on this kind of conversation. Now we get to 2019, 2020. Uh, on the agenda, we have some major geopolitical movements uh, in the United States, in, in Australia, in uh, not just in the West, in fact, in the, in the global South as well. Uh, we have major other issues popping up on the agenda, migration, to say one, uh, and so forth. So I guess quite facetiously, facetiously one could say, have we, or had we in 2015, 2016 reached 
peak urban? Was it really sort of the pinnacle of that recognition that got written into the 11th Sustainable Development Goal? And what we see now is sort of almost a bit of a fatigue in engaging with urban issues or urban issues don't appear as pressing as uh, major geopolitical, national conversations and concerns. Uh, can I start with Sue? Because you're nodding, so you're no, clearly not, having I'm a not, sort of I'm very caffeinated... I- I'm nodding that it's an issue, but I don't agree that we've reached peak urban. Um, and an analogy that I would use is that I think that the kind of the passage of the goals was a little bit like a wedding you know, it's just kind of a high point, and everybody took a photograph, and you know, this, and for some people that's quite contested because it, but, but actually the reality comes later. Um, and for me, what I've been really struck by is that what I have some quite anxious moments about the implementation of 2030 because the road ahead is not clear. But what I think is very significant is that what getting in into the multilateral system meant, okay, whether that's through the climate change agreements or whether it's through the SDGs or whether it's through the new urban agenda, any of these big consensus agreements, is that what you do is it's like unleashing a slow, consistent force that then kind of rumbles along. It's like turning a huge ship. Okay, and you see that when you begin to see the reporting back from the... Uh, the national review processes that are coming through from the voluntary uh, local reviews that are coming through. As the machinery of the states, okay, of the nation states and of local states, uh, really begins to implement. And I think for me that's been absolutely fascinating because one of the things that urban people, urban scholars, have never really done particularly well is to scale up beyond their particular city or local authority. But when you get organizations of local authorities and you get organizations of national states, the UN, saying the urban is important, then you begin to get things like national treasuries putting money and effort into saying what's our national urban policy. Um, And I think that... The return on that is not immediate, it's not visible, it's certainly not headlines. But if you are able to redirect budgets and if you are able to begin to start chasing targets as in 1.5 on on the climate negotiations, um, and Thomas can speak much more about some of the biodiversity targets, and begin to understand that these are urban, you you land up shifting practice, whether whether we're prioritizing the right things or not. That we can have a very serious conversation about. But I think it's, we've got into the bloodstream, into the, government, the global governance bloodstream um, in a way that I think is a game changer. So, Thomas, is it, a happy, is it still a happy marriage? What, what do you think? Is it in the blood? <laughs> I think I agree with Sue that um, after 2015, we've had sort of a, a, a period of what now? How should we actually implement this? And, and it's about finding the tools and, and the mechanisms to do that. But I think I, I want to sort of paint one narrative here, and, and that is one of the sort of scientific input into the SDGs were actually this compilation that uh, is named the Great Acceleration. There was uh, um, putting together data on, on energy use, on, on water use, on use of, of uh, fiber and food and and all these drivers that show that from 
mid-1950s up to now, we have had this enormous exponential growth. Whatever variable, whatever factor you looked at, they had a similar similar shape. And also the impacts uh, mirrored that. So we had deforestation, <clears throat> desertification, and, and lots of other impacts showed the similar um, development. And I think all of that data was very much an, an input and, and motivated the SDGs. Now we have sort of 10, 15 years later, um, sort of comp made a compilation of new data. And what it shows is this continues, but there are two major uh, differences. One, one is that uh, we have a shift, much larger shift to the global south. And we have we have a much larger shift to to urban areas. So what I think is happening now that the the whole world needs to um, change perspective from being on nation states in the global north to cities in the global south. And I think that takes time, and it takes we need to struggle with how do we what what are the mechanisms what what are the sort of the strategies we we can deploy. Let me pick you up on that one. Um, Sure, the whole world needs to change and look at cities. But if I had to sort of put myself in the shoes of a relatively skeptical mayor, and we see quite a few around here, and I'd say, yes, but as a mayor, as a city, why do I have to engage into these global conversations? Why can't I just do it myself uh, or do it just as cities? And there's been a sort of quite a lot of rhetoric of cities acting and states just looking and sitting and squabbling. So I guess from a city's perspective, why does this matter? Um, why don't we start with Thomas and then Sue? Again, I think, I mean, we, we, we live in a global world where we have so m m many types of interconnections and, and, and complexity. So it's inconceivable that uh, a city could act on its own and actually uh, that the outcome would be anything successful or achieving an objective. So we need all this collaboration and we need also, <clears throat> need also to much better understand uh, complex interactions that are occurring on, on many, many different scales and need to take that on board in when we develop strategies. So uh, I think that there's so strong... Uh, evidence and motivation why cities should collaborate and uh, uh, form networks and, and together develop strategies and, and share knowledge and technology to, to help each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never heard that said as nicely as Thomas said, um, that we need to shift from nation states of the north to cities of the south. Um, it's a very nice framing of that. Um, and, and your question and your provocation, Michele, is, is, is a good one, is why would a mayor worry about that? And I I mean, I think mayors are quite savvy, um, and they know that their cities have to compete and compare um, and engage, and those are not the same things, um, with cities in a whole lot of other parts of the world. And um, that we're not all going to go back to the very ancient cities of Europe as our primary partners of exchange or competition. So um, any mayor who thinks that they can ignore the incredibly powerful emerging cities of the South is just naive. Um, so, so that's the first thing. And, that, and that's in the, the kind of conventional sense of city-to-city of -city competition. I mean, I think that, you know, if I was a medical officer of health and I was advising my mayor... Um, I would be very concerned that they understood some of the dynamics um, of what's going on in, in cities elsewhere. Um, 
And in exactly the same way as the mayors of the late 19th and the early 20th century began to realize that, you know, what went on in rich parts of the city and what went on in poor parts of the city were connected through the vectors of disease. I think increasingly we have an understanding that it doesn't take very long for really, you know, uh, highly infectious diseases to spread, you know, whether it's zoonotic diseases or, or, or any other kind, from really fundamentally disadvantaged parts of the world um, to very, very advantaged ones. And so you cannot insulate yourself. And the sort of, you know, the post-antibiotic world and that is makes that really critical for mayors to understand that risk. And then, I, I mean, I suppose finally, you know, we, you, you probably know better than others, the and the cities have been really at the forefront of some of the kind of cl in climate mobilization um, and in the absence of leadership from, from nation states. And the idea that, um, you know, you can just have a conversation sitting in Melbourne about redoing your building codes in Melbourne and that that somehow is going to address how much concrete or stone we are, are, are generating, you know. So... I mean, not only are the Melbourne architects going to be doing a whole lot of the work in these emerging cities, but the materials that are used are global resources. They, it's, it's Thomas's point about the hinterland. So I don't think mayors can be jurisdictional anymore. That's not leadership. They can't, or they can, but I guess one fundamental thing that isn't talked much about, again, if we wind back to 2015 to today, is lots of these sort of global conversations embody and aware created uh, behind and around some fundamental tensions of the system itself. Some fundamental tensions of a system that remain dominated by states and people would argue multinational uh, corporations or, or entities. And exactly as you put it, I think I completely agree, fabulous phrase with Definitely will steal that one. But the Global <laughs> South City, the emergence of the Global South City, sure, but also puts right in front in the agenda the fundamental sort of inequities and inequalities yeah. of that kind of system. Yeah, so I guess Absolutely. key Absolutely. question there for me then is, uh, have we created a global urban agenda with fundamental inherent tensions uh, that we just simply can't resolve? Solve that one for me in one minute or less. <laughs> Go for it. I'm giving you coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, well, I think the global agenda needs to evolve all the time. To take it, we, we need to take in new insights and also what's happening. I mean, the world is dynamic and changing all the time. So uh, I think there are tensions, but I think also there, there will be ways we could uh, try to resolve them. And, and also the UN system, there was once a hope that the city should have a stronger voice around the U in the in the UN organizations that hasn't materialized but I, I still think there are sort of in behind there are lots of movements and strong forces pushing in that direction that city networks will have a strong voice considering the, the global agenda and that these tensions actually could come up and, and be discussed and, and resolved. Yeah I mean I would I, I would point to three tensions actually um the one is that the multilateral system is dominated by nation states um, and cities really and local authorities do not have adequate voice um, in, in that regard. That's crucial. It's dominated by the global north, even though we've been seeing a massive remobilization of, of the G77 or any other mechanism. And then for me, probably partly because I work in a university, the one that is perhaps the most difficult is that I don't think that the urban community, the urban scholarly community, is organised to bring its extremely diverse and quite 
vast experience and knowledge, but it's not organized in a way that makes the delivery of the messages from science legible or in, in any way accessible to policymakers. Um, and that's partly because it's a new agenda and partly because we've inherited this rich, disparate community. And it's a little bit like herding cats, um, trying to get architects and engineers and anthropologists and medics and you know, everybody into the room to talk to the urban question. Um, and we're going to have very, we get, oh, absolutely have to put our minds to how we streamline some of those messages. Uh, if we're going to have impact. Let me pick up exactly where you ended, Sue. Um, so really the question is sort of where we as scholars, coming from really different backgrounds, covering relatively different uh, themes, whether it's biodiversity, whether it's urban development, whether it's law and politics, but what can an academic sitting in an academic institution or what can the academic community do in respect to the global urban agenda and to the inherent tensions that we've just talked about. As a scholar, what are you going to do, Thomas? Well, I think uh, what I could sort of contribute with and, and all other scientists is together building more of an urban science where we bring together much more of an interdisciplinary understanding of, of the very rapidly changing world around us and, and try also to build uh, a much deeper and, and more detailed horizon scanning on what's going to happen in 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, and again, those insights are really important uh, for policymaking today because as we know we have a huge path dependence in, in everything <clears throat> related to urban development so building this taking advantage of, of the richness diversity and, and the deep insights we have in the global research community but but finding ways of working together and maybe within a framework of, of an urban science and, and addressing all these different scales and, and working also, of course, closely with, with local governments and making sort of taking the knowledge into action in, in a much more uh, operational way. Yeah, and I would endorse that completely. And I mean, for me, it's not about stopping doing fundamental science or social science, if that's how you define yourself. Um, you know, we absolutely want, if the majority of the world is urban, we need the majority of research to be done in and on urban places. And not all of it will be directed at this kind of synthesis um, work or this interaction with policy. But it's very clear to me that if we are not able to draw scholars together, to look at the collective impacts, at the contradictions, to understand the consequences of some of the trajectories that we are on, and to understand what the priorities need to be in order for us to shift the nature of cities and the, and, and the kind of transition that we're going through. Um, cities will end up being blamed, or urbanization will end up being blamed Whereas in actual fact, we simply haven't produced the kinds of evidence that would inform good urban management and ur good urban governance um, and good urban organizations. So we need a, the kind of complex systems of knowledge that are absolutely robust uh, methodologically, where we're very clear about some of the difficulties and tensions that we have in scaling up our knowledge. Um, and that are policy focused, not, not policy serving, and that are perhaps quite critical. But I think Thomas's point about long term and more representative. Absolutely. Well, I think th that brings up some of the real tensions and the real possibilities. I guess one critical question for us here is 
which coffee are you currently drinking and why are you drinking that coffee? My so own. what are you drinking? <laughs> it is your own coffee. What coffee is it? Long black. Long black because... Because I've got a scratchy throat and I needed to wash it down. Traveling academics, what are you drinking, Thomas? I'm having a cappuccino. Because? Because there are fewer calories than in a cafe latte. Very scientific. <laughs> Now, whether the conversation was a shot of espresso like we all had in 2015 and 2014 trying to get SDGs and new urban agendas through or whether the conversation on the global urban agenda is becoming more of a sort of slightly watered down cafe latte or whether we need more caffeine in that conversation is really up to you uh, to decide. But hopefully this was informing, a bit caffeinated and a massive thanks to Sue and a massive thanks to Thomas for indulging us in our coffee. Uh, and chats. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Connected Cities podcast, produced by Connected Cities Lab at the University of Melbourne. We have several current research projects focused on SDGs, which you can learn more about on our website research.unimelb that's u-n-i-m-e-l-b dot e-d-u dot a-u forward slash connected hyphen cities our sdg cities challenge launched at the world urban forum earlier this year has an upcoming symposium running fully online from 30th of september to the 2nd of october 2020 it's called the sustainable development goals climate change and city symposium And if you've enjoyed this conversation today, you should definitely join us for the symposium. Thanks for listening. See you next time.